What do you think your future adopted son is going to say when, like, what oh what God. is uh the going to be the worst thing he does, like, what from age zero to thirteen? Um, sure. Probably going to be like, uh, I'm gonna, I don't know, like smoke weed by the time he's like twelve, probably. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling he's going to uh he's going to break the seal on that third man blu-ray. Oh, I would fucking I would kill my <laughs> biological child if they ever did that. Oh, if that ever happens, I can I tell you I actually do have like I'm not going to say I have nightmares, but I do sometimes think about like, oh my god, what if someone just did fucking do that? Oh. <laughs> what would I do? What if somebody broke the seal? Oh. You ought to put another seal on that. You ought to get that thing fucking graded uh-huh. for uh, authenticity. Put a big, like, yeah, I, I gotta just have that, like, constantly in, like, a shitload of saran wrap. The thing is, though, <laughs> like, that could be a problem then as I'm opening it. Am I, am I gonna too overzealously open it? <laughs> it's like when you would get, remember DVDs would sometimes come and the, the film on it would be, like, too fucking tight, too glued on, so yeah. you would tear and you would rip part of the, the spine, so you'd rip some of, like, the, the title off. I hated yeah. that shit. As, as someone who really likes looking at my alphabetized spines, I would really hate when a when a piece yeah. of tape or an errant uh, piece of glue would tear that off. Speaking, of- you know, people talk about getting spanked in baseball. I didn't get spanked once. I didn't get spanked at all. All I wanted was a nice camaraderie spank. Uh-huh. Let's hit the showers, boys. Um, Shane, uh, season six, real rap. How's it feel? Oh wow, yeah. we're we're live. One for the okay. thumb. Um, yeah. what happened to Sophia? Did we finish her? Um, yeah. Uh, we did bling ring for the Patreon. Uh, we did our rankings uh, on the, um, mm-hmm. I guess on the most recent Patreon we talked about it. Or, oh, yeah. or maybe we did our rankings when we did Dead Again, which I guess we should just put on the Patreon. I don't know. I... Okay, so we uh, we cleaned the floor with her. Yeah. Is that, I got is that gold. Right I, uh, let me just tell you, I got dollar signs in my eyes and gold doubloons in my hands, Shane. We made... <laughs> <laughs> we cashed in on we that. We cashed season. in. Holy I'm shit, laughing. It was a good quarter. All the way to the bank. Great quarter, everybody. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> my slide whistle still in the f- still on the Pony Express. Mm. Um, I ordered it seven months ago, and I believe it should be getting here any day now. <laughs> you told me that was one of those things that's like weirdly expensive, right? Like one of those novelties where you're like, Jesus Christ, these things are like twenty five yeah. bucks. <laughs> Well, you can either get one on Alibaba for like five cents, but you get a hundred of them, uh-huh. or you can get one metal one, one like pewter one, mm-hmm. and it's um like six hundred dollars. I uh, well, that's that was the same situation I was in with these snouts. I bought a pack of twelve because it was like cheaper than buying one. <laughs> Are they just? I guess apart? the opposite situation. No, no, they're actually pretty high quality snouts. They're holding up good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tried them all on. I've been rooting, tooting with all of them. Yeah, eating my slops. Uh-huh. Uh, going. You better be. Uh, <laughs> How about when he does? Richard Burton does that at one point in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the husband's like, "All right, come All right, on, come now. on." He's <laughs> just completely like, oh. can, just bemused. can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I was um I was wrapped with attention from the first shot of this film. It opens on a big shot of a big. A big old full mozzarella moon. It, a mozzarella moon, yeah. Hey. And it's a college on the hill. It reminded me of Hamilton. Yeah, I shot at college. Smith College, the exterior shots. Smith College! Yeah. Nice uh, liberal arts school, women's college. Uh, yeah, probably a Hamilton-ish vibe. Uh, certainly the buildings look yep. like the old buildings in Hamilton. Better watch out. You better not cry. You better not shout. Do you know why, Bennett? 
You better not pounce, you better not cry when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. Big pizza That's pie. a fucking moray, I'll tell you that. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, directed by... Hey, Mike, Mike Nichols. Nichols. seat how does it feel it's probably real warm from sophia sitting in it and don't even get me started about when john sat in that thing Woo! Le- the leather's all worn up be you no it's not real be you that thing stinks it's soiled oh, uh, i just had no. it reupholstered anyway My- mike nichols what do we know about this gentleman bennett um well uh so as you know we tend to we tend to operate uh, Real Rap as a uh, no research podcast. We tend to uh, <laughs> do no reading ahead of time. But uh, uh-huh. for season six uh, of, of Real Rap, which uh, is going to focus on the works of both uh, well, a selection of works by both uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May, I-, I thought I would dip back into one of my favorite uh, books on film uh, that I've ever read. Mark Harris's Pictures at a Revolution, which um, it's not what got me started in my love of Oscar politics, but it's definitely the, the greatest like validation I've ever found a whole book, just exploring the movies that were nominated for best picture, uh, in 1967, uh-huh. uh, really highly recommended. Mark Harris is, uh, is like a Mayor Pete apologist on Twitter. He, he had this one tweet that was like one of the most egregious examples of self fellatio I've ever seen. He was like, and everyone, <laughs> everyone calling Mayor Pete smug or, or pedantic, just know that us overachieving gay men are sick of these insults. And there was like no irony in it. It was just completely like I'm a self-identified overachiever. Yeah. Anyway, he's a really he's a really great writer, and he he he, he as bad as his political takes are, his his takes on like the Oscars and his uh, his insights on like Hollywood history are are that good. Um, and he wrote this book, Pictures of a Revolution, which is about the five films: uh, The Graduate, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, uh, Doctor Doolittle, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, and in the heat of the night that were all nominated for best picture in 1967. Uh, and it's sort of old Hollywood and new Hollywood clashing and Mike Nichols, director of the graduate, which we'll talk about next, uh, with, with special guest Chuck, uh, <clears throat> he's kind of one of the main characters of the book. So I thought to give us some background, I would, uh, read the passage that kind of introduces, uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May. Uh, they were comedy partners who really <laughs> took the world by storm. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. They were real funny. Um, so if you'll indulge me, um, I, I, I thought I would give us some background here. Uh, uh, um, Let's hear it. All right, everybody. <laughs> give it to me. Come on. Hey, all right. Nichols, born Michael Igor Pashovsky. Yo, was an immigrant. This- Nichols, showers, now. Um, you know, I know Woody Allen's canceled, but one of the best exchanges in any movie ever is in Annie Hall when the guy goes, uh, my name's Joey Nichols. You know how you remember that? Joey Five Cents. Every time you see me, just think Joey Five Cents, which perfectly captured like just the weird shit that like uncles or like friends of your parents will say to you when you're a kid and you're just like, why would I? What? Joey Five Cents, but why Why would I? What about you would make me think that? Like this is a, it's an odd piece of advice if I'm trying to remember your name. Anyway. Uh, it's um, like coming up with your own nickname. Uh, the sickly child of a German mother and a Russian Jewish father would escape Europe just before World War II. He'd arrived in the United States at the age of seven and been educated in New York private schools and raised in, Euro- <laughs> raised in a European intellectual <laughs> tradition. May was born in Philadelphia. Hey! 
to a family hey! of, of Yiddish theater performer directors. They moved to Los Angeles when she was young, and by the time she was 19, she was the divorced mother of a two-year-old girl. Both Nichols and Mays were uh, both Nichols and May were outsiders who had endured stormy childhoods by sealing themselves behind walls of wit. Both had the ability to stand just far enough apart from the culture around them to observe it with the ruthless detachment of great comedians. And both had an astonishing gift for improvisation. May could lampoon in the spur of the moment the stylistic tics and affectations of writers she'd never actually read. And Nichols, who had read all of them, knew just how deeply he could tap his own intelligence without scaring the audience away. Uh, so basically, their uh, their partnership resulted in a stage show, a, a best-selling uh, comedy album. And um, though they had kind of a tumultuous breakup, much like uh, as, as creative partners, much like, uh, you know, Dean, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis before them, they both would go on to uh, careers in film, which we'll uh, talk about throughout this series. Um, Girls on film. Uh, I'm sorry. Nichols is for me. I, I, I'm going to try to watch all of his films as, as we go through the series because he's one of those um, Clint Eastwood style directors. He was basically making a film a year for uh-huh. A long period of time. Um, like I would love to talk about like closer Jude Law's worst performance, but uh, I don't. I don't know that there's a big audience for a podcast episode on closer. Um, <laughs> and, wait, so whereas he had this really prolific kind of golden boy career, Elaine May um, directed has only directed four films. They've just recently announced that she's maybe uh, going to be directing a new film called Crackpot. But basically, she's one of the most famous examples of somebody uh, getting tagged as a as a difficult woman, and it resulted in her uh, getting thrown in movie jail. And for the last, um, like, 25 years, basically, since Ishtar came out, she has, uh, or 30 years now, uh, she's basically been doing screenwriting, uh, and she's just started acting again recently. Uh, so two really interesting topics of, uh, topics of discussion, potentially. Uh, Elaine May and, and Mike Nichols. Uh, a Philadelphian and Mike Nichols. Um, okay, and we're starting with... Um... His first movie, Mike Nichols' debut, Dr. Doolittle. Ah, yes. Uh, classic. <laughs> Did you see there's a new Dr. No, Doolittle uh, coming out? <laughs> Dr. Um, More like Dr. Don't Little. <laughs> don't Little. Don't oh. come out with a sequel. Uh, and they should um, call that a fondant. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> we're talking about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, mm. 1966. Ah, it was uh, made for seven and a half million. Bennett, did this thing fly or what? Um, it was the second biggest box office hit of 1966, behind just a James Bond movie, I think Thunderball. That's fucking insane. Uh, the second Ooh, Thunderball. Hey, I think that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second highest grossing movie of this year, I think, is like Aladdin. So I, I mean. Not to get, you know, Martin Scorsese, these are theme park rides about it, but imagine a world in which the second highest grossing movie of the year is a relationship drama based on a play that has four characters and, uh, I don't know, basically just results in, uh... And it's, uh, two hours long. Yeah, two, two, hours and, two hours and 15, um, features a lot of, like, uh, shouting and yelling, no nudity, <laughs> Uh, not really a lot of things that tend to uh, be thought of as getting asses in seats. Um, but uh, I, I, a lot of it's... You want to talk getting asses in seats? I don't have a punchline. <laughs> hey. uh, I mean, a lot of its appeal was its uh, its two leads, uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, kind of the most famous couple on the planet. Uh, she made uh, a cool million for the picture. Uh, I think he got 750 k uh, pretty wild stuff for for 1966. 
Uh, and another big selling point for this movie, other than the fact that it was a huge Broadway hit, was the uh, it had a reputation for being kind of uh, smutty. Uh, it features a lot of profane dialogue, a lot of sexual Nasty. innuendo. Uh, and basically, they were really, really worried that they were not going to be able to get it around the um, approval board, kind of the, the mm -hmm. predecessor to the uh, MPAA that we have now, the, the ratings board. Um, and they made the proposal that they would show it with an adults-only certification, which uh -huh. up to that point was something that had only been used for pornography. So basically, the, uh, the promise of seeing Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor in an adults-only scenario was uh, enticing to uh, American audiences. From what I understand, Mike Nichols was, uh, I feel like he was a, a sweetheart for for the studio, and they kind of allowed him to skirt the rules and get that adults-only rating. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he sparred with them quite a bit over rewrites the script. They wanted to... Um, there's a big, one of the, the the kind of recurring elements throughout the the play and the movie is that George and Martha, Richard Burton and Liz Taylor's character, have this imaginary son. They uh, they can't conceive and they have this son. That well, they, we don't know that yet. Well, I, they in the book are they, they wanted to rewrite into the script a literal kid and have him mm, uh, like hang himself. Hang himself. Um, so they they had some sparring over uh, over rewrites, but. Basically, he was such a, uh, a golden goose, uh, such a, a prized ass at this point, because uh, <laughs> I, like, while he was directing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, he had like three plays running on Broadway. Uh, he was sort of, uh, you know, on a, a on a tear, so to speak, as it were. So, Bennett, yeah, I mean, they would have done tell me about <clears throat> what's the strangest tear you've ever been on? I don't know. I mean, I told you, I've told you about the time I blacked out in front of Jonas' parents, right? And said, fuck Vince Vaughn. And was just like making a scene in this restaurant. Yeah, that was oh, that was not man. good. That's one of the crazier tears. And then there was also, uh -huh. of course, I mean, just the infamous. I, I, does does eating sunflowers? Can a tear be just eating? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the sunflower seed thing is quite a tear. I mean, I near, yeah, that's a tear. nearly that's tore a... my colon. Am I right, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> is this um, thing I, on? Oh, is sorry. this thing? I think mine's broken. Somebody mm. unplugged it. Um, it was my wife. She hates hearing me do the podcast. Uh, did I, I told you before, I once was like, Annie, do you listen to the podcast? She's like, Shane, I listen, I listen to a version of the podcast every time I get within 10 feet of you. So no, the answer is no. I get enough of that. It's funny. Um, she does. I, I don't give her enough credit. She does listen to the podcast. She like it? Um, yeah, she, I don't know. I think <laughs> some, some, I, I, sometimes I feel she'll, she'll hear me coming home and she'll turn it on and like, Oh, I didn't know you, ah, didn't hear you come in. Uh, <laughs> you tweeted one time. Uh, I, I, my girlfriend thinks my podcast is funny and cool, which I read as like ironic. I read as my, my girlfriend hates my podcast. <laughs> no, that was me being earnest. Mm, I see. But, uh, yeah. appreciate that. You ever been on a tear like they're on in this movie? Holy hell, what a tear. Oh, my, my word. Hey, no. So we open on a big drunk couple. Big of a moon and a drunk couple walking across Mama. the campus. So they're walking home. She's kind of being loud. Uh, he is trying to shush her. They get into their bedroom. They get into their house. The house is a disaster. Mm. Now, is this a house you see in a Hollywood movie, Bennett? Um, I mean, it looked to me like the stereotype of a, of a prof professorial type's house. Although I will say, and far be it for me to criticize the state of anyone's like kitchen. Do you notice how like it looked like weather beaten? The state of like the the cupboardry and like the kitchen. <laughs> like, it looked it like they lived like, on like the beachfront. Like it was 
<laughs> like it was uh it had flooded and then uh-huh. this was like uh-huh. the aftermath yeah it did kind of seem like that i felt that it it had to be somebody's house because it looks severely lived in and i think it was a all set the books and shit damn well they had a lot of money yeah because there's a ton of fucking books there's art all over the place there's shit everywhere and even the messes that that they're like cued to clean up look like real messes like Shit is kind of just around in a way that seems like it would be if you were just kind of getting ready and running out of the house. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, to um, the point of it feeling lived in, it, it's it's like immaculately choreographed and blocked the way they like move around the space. Um, they they oh, they, yeah. they they inhabit it like they really live there, and it's amazing to me how quickly Mike Nichols took to film directing. Um, I mean, obviously yeah. he's adapting a play here, and it is slightly stage bound, but there's a lot of fairly dynamic camera work. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's really well edited. It's well shot. It's, he took to it like, uh, what's the phrase? A, uh, a duck to water, a fish to water. Like a horse to its own ass. Yeah. Like, like a, a cat to its own, own ass. ass. Like a horse, like a horse <laughs> to hay. All right. Hey, like a horse <laughs> um, to its own sheave. Oh no. Uh, right. Yeah, um, uh. he, it, yeah, he, uh, seems to be able to like, get all the shots necessary to have a really complex like camera like now cut to this cut to like it seemed to your point very well blocked to the point where we get all these insane kind of cuts um and the camera changing positions or these long dynamic shots that follow certain characters that go to a different character it's um makes it seem kind of like a natural camera movement type thing at times um but you could tell it's very highly highly organized mm-hmm. um and i think that it would be it does i think at the beginning seem like it's improvised but i really think that this is very very highly organized and mm-hmm. choreographed yeah i mean it, it despite cutting out about an hour of the script i mean it hues pretty closely to edward Albee's uh text uh it's pretty crazy that you could get away with saying some of this shit in 1966 uh nipples for example uh cow nipples uh, monkey nipples <laughs> monkey nipples <laughs> what's that i don't know what that's supposed to mean um how many cigs do you think she smoked in the walk from Oof, the party they were at to back to their house? Good lord, she's literally like, she's literally like singing like when the moon hits your eyes. Shut uh, up. Yeah, the the, the classic long suffering husband. Um, he was thirty fucking nine when they filmed this movie. He turned forty on the set Whoa! of this movie. Oh, that's a rough thirty nine. I know I'm one to talk, but good lord almighty, God, he <laughs> looks old. Um, they're looks both. Like oh, sorry, nothing. Looks like he's in his fifties. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like when he says that he's supposed to be forty something. I'm like, okay, so are they? I guess he's supposed to look like a rough forty something. But Richard Burton must have been in at least his fifties. No, no, no. One of the IMDb trivia facts <laughs> is that he's gifted some sort of car on his fortieth birthday on set by uh, his wife uh, Elizabeth. Oh Garrett. yeah, he got a he got a like a Camry. Uh, <laughs> it's called a Toronado. Ah, uh, Toyota he Yaris. <laughs> <laughs> he got a Yaris from mm. his wife, the Honda Fit. Ah, nice. Zoom, zoom. Zoom, <laughs> 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 zoom. They're both actually notably too young for the roles. Elizabeth Taylor in particular. I think she was in her early 30s. And you can tell that she's really heavily made up to look older. Um, it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. they shot it in black and white. I mean, it looks ludicrous in black and white, the sort of painted on like forehead wrinkles. Um, yeah, it I, does. I, I, uh, good performances from both of them, though. Although we were talking... I. 
when I first saw this movie, when I was like an IMDb Oscar buzz lurker, and this was like one of the movies mm-hmm. you had to have seen, I would have probably said that like my favorite, I would have probably ranked the performances, Taylor, Burton, Siegel, Dennis. I think it's flipped now. I think Sandy Dennis gives my favorite performance in this movie. Um, when they get back to I their agree. house, they've been at this, uh, this staff party and they're, they're, they're ribbing each other. They're, they're, they're having laughs. They're yucking it up. Really just telling each other how sick of each other's shit they are. And he finds out that she's invited over Sandy Dennis and George Siegel, a uh, a young professor from she believes the math department. It's actually the biology department, and his uh, very very drunk wife, Honey. Uh huh. They come over at two thirty in the damn morning and come upon a scene that you just never want to see. Um, the house is a fucking disaster. The husband and wife are s- screaming at each other while they're ringing the doorbell. And you could tell when they open the door that, like, oh, we can come back another time. But then they quickly get dragged in, and uh, the format of this movie is established in that it's the two, the cu- the one couple visiting the est- the cup. Okay, what are their names? Do we ever get the names of the visitors? Uh, Nick and Honey. Nick and Honey are the visiting couple. They're much younger, twenty eight and twenty six. Twenty six. And then uh, there's Martha and George, who are the couple that lives in the house. Um, they've been—he's been a professor at the school for a long time. He's an associate professor Oof. of As she history. Lets know. Mm. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And they've—and her dad is the president of the school. They've um, been established there for a while. They've kind of set in their ways. They live on campus, and. They are a very unique couple. How would you describe George and Martha? Um, there's a lot of uh, passive aggression. There's a lot of pettiness. They seem to be constantly playing like mind games with another. There's a lot of with one another. There's a lot of like wordplay. There's a lot uh, of um, innuendo. Um, a lot of tension. He seems particularly. She seems to think that he's emasculated, ineffectual, and he seems to be just full on repulsed by her. Um, uh huh. They do the type of thing where, um, you know, when you're sitting at the dinner table at your friend's house and your friend is fighting their his parents ugh. or her parents, uh-huh. and then the parents go, "Bennett, do you do this to your mother when you're at home?" Uh-huh. And just forces you to be like, "No, I don't." Right. Yeah. Um. For just so that it forces you to be a narc. Yeah. Yeah, and your friend, your friend understands. Your friend is like, just say, just say whatever. He's Who kicking me under the table. Um, so it's a lot of that. It's a lot of the couple that lives at the house goading um the visitors. George, what are their name? Honey and Bo. Uh, and Nick. Nick and Honey goading them into like talking shit about his own wife or. Making putting them in extremely uncomfortable positions um, by telling them like the hard truth of what their marriage is like or what life is like at their age, um, teasing them. There's a lot of really cruel behavior towards one another to the point where Nick and Honey almost immediately are like, "Okay, this is this is obviously a very uncomfortable time. We don't want to be here. This is not good." And then George and Martha seem to agree, even though they are fighting the entire time. Like, no, you're going to stay and you're going to enjoy this 
chaos that is our life in our mm-hmm. house. Um, and you get the idea. At, at least this is certainly how George and Martha both refer to it. That this is sort of this is sort of an ongoing act between the two of them. Um, it's it, it's routine at this point. This sort of uh, back this backbiting and uh, you know um, haunch gra- haunch smacking. haunch smacking Charlie horsing around. Um, <laughs> There are so many. Oh, I got a Charlie horse. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) Oh, give me a minute. Oh, my God, that hurts. Oh, God, that hurts. All right, it's going. All right, I'm better. Is that what a a Charlie horse is? What the fuck is a Charlie horse? I don't know. People talk about. People talk about getting them, and I have no idea what they're talking. It's something I've not experienced, unless they're talking about having their foot be asleep. But it seems like it's like a tendon shooting up your ass behind your knee. Some type of. it's like a gymnast's ankle. I think it's tennis elbow. Um, <laughs> there are so many good insults in this movie, and just the the dialogue is just mm, it's pungent. She bang, calls him a, bang, she bang. calls him a pig, and he just goes oink oink. <laughs> uh, oh, I actually just fucking drove a little pencil up my under my nail bed. Oh, anyway, uh, I'm gonna be nursing on that for a few weeks now. Mm. Yeah, there's I got blood. Oh. I drew blood there. She, she's eating a chicken wing at one point, which I didn't think of as something people ate before Ooh. like the 80s. Yeah, lemon pepper uh-huh. wet, no less. She um. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, I'm really oh, bleeding. Jiminy Cricket, Jesus Crow. Uh, so the. Yeah, she's eating that drumstick, and it's kind of immediately... She eats it out of the fridge and then throws it back, half-eaten in the fridge, and her hair is all a mess. He's looking like shit. We immediately get established that, you know, this isn't going to be your typical polished Hollywood freaking Spartacus-ass movie. Um, It's kind of established as a dark side, a unattractive side of these people it's it's very unpolished seeming um although it is very scripted and it's very dialogue heavy and it almost it does kind of seem like it's like a stage play in the way that things are stated um the way that people talk to each other it seems like they're talking to like an audience a little bit mm-hmm. um and overall the sense that is translated very quickly is that like this is a kind of a slop flick. Um, it's very beautifully shot too. Um, I mean, you and I both, obviously, I think the the comparison to Cassavetti's films is right there. It's 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 capturing similarly kind of drunken histrionic behavior. But um, uh, when we talked about, he came before Cassavetti's. I realized. Um, yeah, I guess so. Well, he um, he what? did he did. This is after Faces, but before. I mean, this is before Faces. And faces after... is 68 yeah interesting i well, no I, face faces is yeah faces is 68 and shadows was before this in 59 because when we talked about faces in particular there are a lot of really beautiful faces uh, beautiful a lot of beautiful faces and faces there's a lot of beautiful shots in, in faces but um you you suggested that any um any design to cassavetti's films is more or less incidental he's really just kind of interested in the uh emotional register of the performances and of the characters whereas mm-hmm. it's really clear there were a lot of like ideas about how this film was supposed to be shot uh haskell wexler i believe won the uh won the academy award for the cinematography um uh-huh. so much more and not, not to suggest that um cassavetti's films are like flying by the seat of their pants or anything this this does feel like a much more like, manicured film uh 
Yes. As, as I, ugly as it gets. So before we talk about Cassavetes, because there's a lot I want to say, and I don't want it to trump the entire conversation. Um, what is, I would say, the the format, the form, and the, the, the style of this movie is that it's people making digs at each other extensively to the point where no one is really friends it's established um but then we 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 kind of shoot off from there into different directions of what what that kind of alcohol um alcohol infused insults and uh conversation leads into um the people speak specifically Martha and George who like establish the tone of this in ways that uh remark upon each other's like very dark personal histories mm-hmm. and try to try to use those against them try to joke about them make them feel bad um it seems a lot of what Martha and George are trying to do is play a game with the visitors they have but it's never like explicitly stated um and like playing a game by making them super uncomfortable, making them have a big reaction to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, what and, do you think? Ben? And George even literally describes it around uh, the second act, uh, describes uh, describes the games they've been playing, refers to uh, humiliate the host, uh, hump the hostess, yeah. which they really, they really <laughs> had to fight to get that line in the script, and then uh, get the guest. Yeah. So he basically just starts flinging insults at, uh, at Honey. Um, I really like the line too. I swear, if you existed, I'd divorce you. She yells that right as they're like walking into the house. The shot that really got me is when we fall out, Nick and Honey. There's like a handheld shot kind of over their shoulders as they're walking in. It's the first time we see the space from that perspective. We're like really being reintroduced to the house from their perspective, and very quickly once they've entered George and Martha's uh, space, we can start to see them growing into. We we can see that they are going to be George and Martha before too long. It's clear how much George <laughs> is like just mortified by Honey's behavior, um, yeah. And and she uh, like it, it's clear that they are going to age into a similar sort of like resentment and checkered history. Um, Martha's really trying to fuck Nick, um, and 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 seems to really be um, throwing that in Richard's face. Or uh, Richard Burton is the actor throwing that in George's face. Um, uh-huh. Uh huh. He does a great job of just being like passive aggressively furious. Uh, just all of his like bemused bullshit, like sitting in the other corner of the room, uh, continually yeah, refreshing like, well, everybody's Martha, drink. You can certainly fuck that little boy there. Yeah, if you can get it up. I have no problems with if you fuck that little man's prick. Um. Uh, there, there, there are very clear dynamics between each of the characters. Martha is kind of loud. Um, a woman humor, after my like, own heart. She's she's very humorous. Uh, she's a lot of energy. She's very sloppy, mm-hmm. um, meaning like she like doesn't. She'll say things without um, calculating how it's gonna affect someone, or she just kind of shouts things. Um, George is a brusque. He's rude. He's intellectual. Kind of intimidating, condescending. He'll try to like get. Um, Nick to say certain things and then kind of poke fun at him for even mentioning it. Oh, the painting. It's a good one. Oh, yeah. Nick t- Nick's like, oh, nice painting you have here. And George is like, oh, you think it's a 
quietly intense, but... right? <laughs> yeah. Restrained, but... Uh, what about uh, intensely quiet? <laughs> and then Nick's like, no. Um, <clears throat> I was going to say it's just a... Uh, I don't know. What a swell is. picture. Uh, <laughs> and and Nick picks up quickly on like that bullshit. But then uh, Nick is kind of a dry, reserved, dignified non-confrontational and cordial kind of sport he's really like smelling his own farts that you get how much he loves he loves just as much he loves it as much as martha does when they're talking about how hot he is uh and how yeah, he got he got his uh, have... <laughs> i got my master's at 19 i've got a big huge dick he, big, a huge grower dick. and a shower what can i say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm blessed yeah doctor and didn't know it... what they don't know what to call it i got a needle and a chode <laughs> His his um his wife Honey, who we get some interesting oh she she has an interesting kind of characterization, in that she's outspoken, she can kind of adapt to the situation immediately, mm-hmm. and she's willing to go along with the party, but almost at her own expense. Uh-huh. Um, she's not instead of coming back to George with insults, she kind of is like, yeah. yeah. She's basically just egging me. everybody on. Yeah, even when they're yeah. throwing insults at her. I mean, it's the rare performance of somebody who is just fucking blasted from frame one to frame, you know, to, to the final frame. Uh, George and Martha and Nick are obviously drinking a lot throughout the whole, uh, you know, the whole kit and caboodle, but it, it, it's clear they uh, they can certainly, they're used to this sort of a drinking. It's made very clear that Honey doesn't drink very often and vomits almost every time she does. Uh, and yeah. she's nevertheless really uh, on a tear, uh, much like her hosts. Um, the first act of, of the play and basically the first third of the film ends with her vomiting. I uh, I really like when George, uh, I don't know if it is like literally you couldn't say bathroom or couldn't say like toilet in a movie, but uh, he says to Martha like, oh, are we sure where we keep the uh, euphemism? I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some jokes to the camera a few times. But anyway, uh the whole movie, everyone is pouring a drink at all times, and everyone's very drunk, and alcohol is kind of used as a a tool to get all of these characters into a spot where they're acting at their most kind of exaggerated and also at their most... Uh, it puts them at odds with each other in that all the parts of them that don't agree with each other or all the parts of them that are unique to them are used as a kind of distancing from each other. Um, Like honey's too drunk. Nick is not drunk enough or he's not, he can't let go. Uh, Martha is just like super overbearing. And, uh, and while honey is sitting right there and she's just kind of like appalled at her behavior. Um, And any point where like a couple would like embrace, they're just like, get the fuck off of me. Mm -hmm. Um, and like being like, you never treat me this way. Fuck off. Um, and so we're in a position where all of these characters, they are established as couples, but do nothing that a couple would do. And essentially like them being a couple only gives the, each person in that couple more fodder to kind of insult the person that they're with, with. I found my note about going on a tear because it's your point about how much they're drinking. They're they're all drinking nothing but just like straight liquor throughout. Like yeah. not even. I, I think Martha's the only one that even uses ice. Now here's <laughs> what I wrote. I've gone on many, 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 <laughs> many uh-huh. ill-advised hundreds, hundreds 
ill-advised, injurious, nearly uh-huh. life-threatening tears. And I've never been able to drink beyond a shot of straight liquor without just getting immediate, like, jurred. I, I don't understand. I, I, <laughs> how do people do that? And then they're also rolling around in the front yard in their goddamn suits. Grass stains are tough to get out oh, of fucking yeah. jeans. Imagine getting them out of your fucking gray flannel suit. Good lord. And uh-huh. that's a question I had. Are cleaning products one of those things that have gotten worse because we've gotten more like environmentally conscious because we're mm. more conscious about like poison? Do you think we now have just weaker? Like, would that have been easier to get grass stains out of your fucking suit back then? Because we were just, you know, blasting well, everything. I feel like I guess everybody was wearing wool, like just raw sheep's wool and using acetone mm. and like just pure bleach to get stains out. So I think the answer is yes. Um, and Nick at one point says, uh, I'm tired. I've been drinking since nine o'clock and my wife is vomiting. <laughs> you know, classic, <laughs> classic stuff. Um, uh, so basically everything everyone does is commented on. And there are a few moments that I noticed where things go unspoken. Like when, um, like when anytime someone gets poured a drink, to- everyone's totally agreeable. There's nothing to say about it. There's nothing compromising about it. E- drinking is the one thing everyone in this room can agree upon, and it, they won't get. They basically won't make fun of you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, even throwing up is like, oh yeah, she's throwing up. Um, and also like the men going off and talking to each other while the women, well, the women get changed and throw up not spoken about it just happens mm-hmm. and kind of highlights this like unspoken f- female and male relationships that these people have and the differences get highlighted between like male and female of like the relationships they're able to have basically the men have their like buddy buddy moment the women kind of have their moment in privacy um and it's not spoken about which is like interesting in a movie where everything is spoken about well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, there, there's a lot of sexual innuendo bubbling under the surface. Mm-hmm. And I also, uh, as far as unspoken things go, when George and Nick are out on the front lawn, George regales him with this kind of long story about a about his youth. Uh, tells this story about this kid he knew who lost like both of his parents in, in accidents. And as he's like telling this whole story, he's looking at Nick like he's in love with him. Like, he really, look at, like, the gaze between the two of them. And Nick is, like, eating it up. Nick has this, like, shit-eating grin on his face. And Nick is talking about how badly he's going to, like, how badly he wants to, like, fuck all the professor's wives at the college. And and he's, George is, like, eating it up, really looking at George like he wants to fuck him, or looking at Nick like he wants to fuck him. And then Nick has that line, uh, I bet your wife's got the widest, most inviting avenue on campus. Like, George Mm -hmm. almost seems to be, like, inviting, and he's obviously, like, joking around and doing his passive-aggressive thing, but he's very much, like, willing into existence the fact that Nick is going to sleep with Martha. He's, like, daring Mm -hmm. him to cuckold him uh, at this point. And it almost, I I don't know, there there, there seems to be uh, an attraction between the two of them. And obviously a lot of what Elizabeth Taylor's character is insinuating about George throughout is that she thinks he's gay or that he's impotent. Uh, There's a lot of jokes about impotence, like, oh, you really rose to the occasion there, George. And then uh-huh. I, I guess she and Nick try to bone, and he can't get it up. Uh, a, yeah. she, she makes that joke like, oh, what, are you too drunk for that, too? Um, well, it's unclear, because she kind of says, like, no, you're a stag or something at the end. I mean, I there's sure. there's no way they could have made it like explicit in any way, right? Even in like the sure. play. So I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much we're supposed to read into. Right. I mean, it's understood that they the had a private... And... 
Yeah. They had a private moment and something happened. Um, but it, it was, I thought that once the two men got together and started talking, I thought there was going to be more of the buddy, buddy kind of stuff because it was, it was a huge relief when you see them just being friends with each other. And you can tell to even to Nick, it's a huge relief because it's like, finally, you're not making fun of me. I can, I can be honest. And he starts divulging things about his life like the deepest, darkest things about his life that his wife got pregnant and then when they got married and then couldn't have the baby or something like just these kind of like very risque for 1966 type information Mm -hmm. about being like not being able to get it up and, you know, having a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying we we should, I guess, fill in some more of the details about like uh, both George and Martha's marriage and Nick and Honey's marriage. Um, I guess it's implied that Honey pretended to be pregnant so that Nick would marry her. Um, and Nick seems to not be able to stand her. It seems to be what he's like confiding in George when they're out on the lawn. Um, and not not to be so like, oh, gay about it. But Nick is also like laying it on really thick when he's talking yeah. about how much he wants to like fuck all, fuck all like the wives on campus. It's very much like, uh-huh. uh, I swear I'm straight. I swear I'm straight. Come on, come on. Um and then uh, George and Martha, there's illusions, and Martha is telling Honey and Nick that they have a kid who is just not around and is uh, uh-huh. it's like turning 16 tomorrow. George uh, seems to be implying that they've never had a kid. It doesn't become clear until the end of the play what the real story is there, but there's this uh, like unseen child uh, in, in in both marriages. There's a there's a child that maybe exists and maybe doesn't exist in both marriages that obviously weighs heavy on them both. Right. So overall, the plot is that. These two couples have a big backstory that gets divulged throughout the movie, and it's used against them to kind of make them have an emotional reaction that is like high, highly charged and being. And basically, it'll be a back and forth of people saying, "I can't believe you would fucking say that." Someone saying, uh, "Oh yeah, did you hear about him?" And then they'll divulge something that was shared in a private moment, and then that person being like, "Why the fuck would you say that if I told you that in a private moment?" And then the the other person relishing in the fact that they got a rise out of the person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's about people who are just addicted to uh, just messiness and uh, self destruction, like. We talk about George willing into existence, getting cuckolded. Like Martha, by inviting them over to the house, is willing just this chaos into existence. Like it's right. it's it's fuel. I mean, like we said, it this this seems to be a, a routine that George and Martha play out all the time. I mean, I I don't think it's crazy to assume that they've had interactions with similar like new couples on campus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say that like it gets so ridiculous the point to which they are. Because, okay, this is in, in our lives, what happens is we'll be at a party, someone will say something really fucked up, and then one of those person, one of those people just ignores them for the rest of the night or leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or they're just like, oh, that guy, that person's really drunk, don't listen to them. But any, anything that would be remotely, remotely close to like the, to how mean the people are in this movie. If it were to happen in maybe any party that I've gone to, it would be, you know, we'd be like, okay, that's fucked up. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or it would at least be the central focus of the night. And we would just fight about it for a while. Mm -hmm. In this movie, everyone is able to insult the, each other to the highest, most compromising degree. 
but continue hanging out uh-huh. and just keep going uh-huh. and keep just washing it over and see just to see what happens mm-hmm. and like just go out dancing and talk about uh how you had a miscarriage and then pretend to shoot my wife in the back oh. of the head and scare everybody uh-huh. um but then just keep going and being like ah oh, that was crazy anyway um you're a big fat piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I fucking you make want to fucking kill myself. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it becomes like a horror movie at a certain point because it is like, why the fuck don't they just leave? <laughs> they right. presumably and they try they to close by. Yeah, they try to at one point, but really, <laughs> even after she's like thrown up, it's there, there's there's less urgency after like things have really hit the fan. It's insane. <laughs> like the most the, the the most aggressively they try to leave is like I don't know, like five minutes after they've walked in and it's clear something's wrong. Um, you know, uh-huh. the vomiting, the the fake shooting her in the head. Uh, it's, yeah. I would say, all these elements kind of work to, uh, it it creates this dynamic where certain people get isolated. Someone will insult someone, and then they get kind of isolated. Other so other people will will try to rally the um, the attention of mo- of three. Okay, so one person will get will act as if they're speaking on behalf of the other two and make fun of one person and isolate that person and try to like tease something out of them or basically compromise them and kind of like alienate them. And then that person will kind of retreat and then come back or have a even bigger response that is like no fuck you, I can't believe you'd say that and 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 on their own come back at the person that insulted them and then the other two people will act as like observers of that and will get like face facial reactions to that like uh or or someone will embrace another person um like Nick and Martha is the main example of that they're they're like basically having sex or like dancing together and then the other and um George and Honey are pri- are privy to that. They have to just watch it, and we get their facial expressions. Um, but it's all done in the context of like these people performing for the other two people. Because at no point are they, um, well, during a few points, they go away to not be seen. But it's mostly they're doing this in order for everyone to be kind of an audience member to what's happening. Well, you remember the, the, the fight, the first fight of the film really, other than George uh, telling Martha to just stop talking is basically Martha is pissed because she doesn't think George was sufficiently impressed with her joke. Uh, who's afraid of Virginia <laughs> Woolf. Um, so uh-huh. it's, it, I mean, it's the, the whole inciting incident, um, at least within the, you know, the world of the film, you know, not, not you know, discounting all of the, the previous marital strife is, someone being insufficiently impressed with this performance. And, you know, that's part of why she invites two more people over to their house. I mean, right. Within, yeah. within minutes, she's making reference back to this joke she made presumably like an hour ago. I mean, that's the height uh-huh. of being a, a narcissistic, overly performative loser. And I should know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it's, there's no, um, the goal by the end of this seems to be Let's keep going until it is impossible to turn back from the shit that we've said. Mm-hmm. Even to the point where they say, I'm going to kill you. I want you dead. I want to be divorced. Like, that's still not enough. And they're like, let's keep going. Let's mm-hmm. keep playing these games to try to get a rise. To the point where the, at the end, they get to the 
uh, George is like, all right, we're going to play one last game. And he seems to have an aha moment. He's like, oh, my God, I've got it. I know how to compromise my wife so bad that she will just be completely destroyed emotionally. And this will have to be the end of it. And his idea is that he's going to tell her. He's going to be like, oh, I've got it. Uh, there was gonna, There's a doorbell, and there was a Western Union guy, and he told us our son is dead. Um, because of he got in a car wreck and that's george's like final aha moment and it's so emotionally devastating to his wife that he's like all right the couple can leave now and that's basically the end of the movie and the wife is so horribly devastated she's like no and then we realize oh they never had a son um it was like a game they were playing because she had a miscarriage years ago is that correct uh, I, I don't know if we get the precise details of uh, whether they have, tr- uh, of why they can't conceive or, or what might have happened in the past. I think we just know they can't have kids. Uh, right. And uh, and Nick, the visitor, is like, oh, I get it. I understand now. And he has this aha moment, which... A little convenient. I, it's a little, like, ripped out of a play. Uh-huh. I think that a lot of this movie, a lot... The parts where it disappointed me were where... The music was cued in to tell me how I was supposed to feel during these highly dramatic moments. Um, the uh, there was t- there was resolution to a lot of stuff that could have just gone unsaid because you know it's not about them not having a kid or it's not about the secrets of their past. It's about using that against each other to get these insane performances out of each other. And I felt that the end kind of betrayed the nature of the whole movie, which is that like we don't really have all the information, but we're just we're not really concerned about their history. It's about being in a compromised position and working out of that and kind of fighting for, uh, I don't know, attention. Mm-hmm. And if we can compare them to the Joker, what's so interesting is that there's, yeah. m- there's multiple, finally. Kind of, there's multiple, finally, somebody's talking about the fucking Joker. <laughs> um, there's, mul- <laughs> there's multiple contradictory versions of their past, right? They've both told yeah. these like apocryphal stories. They've both, mixed like truth and fiction in both painting the pictures of like their their personal life as well as their their life as a married couple and that's Mm -hmm. interesting in and of itself right it implies there is no way to resolve this uh you know too many too many half truths too many uh you know obfuscations um so to have the the level of resolution that we get at the end uh yeah i you know i i don't it's it's an imperfect movie but uh, right. as far as first films go, pretty freaking confident. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, he has created a place where nothing in the pe- no plot details matter. Nothing in the past is could could or could not be true. Um, it is we're focused on the performance of these people the entire time. It is entirely present minded. It never tries to concern itself with stuff that happened before or or, or worrying about you not not understanding a specific aspect of a relationship because as soon as you can kind of latch onto something, it's already moved by you. Um, And I don't know. Okay, so as soon as I was watching this, I was like, okay, this is like all of John Cassavetti's kind of uh, late 60s, early 70s movies um, in that it's about a couple that's arguing. It has this format of being like long... Um, long, open-ended kind of conversations that flow and go in different directions. The differences between this, I think, highlight a lot of why this movie was very, very successful and popular and why it could be sold um, and maybe why John's couldn't 
Uh, mm-hmm. John's things I'm sure have a lot to do with his personality. Mike Nichols seems like a guy that aims to please. John seems like a guy that aims to do everything at, in his power to not please. Uh, these well, um, it sounds like Nichols is actually a real like taskmaster on set. You know how they say um, when you uh, when you when you get into jail, you're supposed to go up to like the biggest big, biggest like meanest guy and like give him a wedgie. Yeah, like it seems like he was kind of trying to do that. Like he was like very much okay. like no more Mr. Nice Guy. Like he fired his assistant director just kind of like on the spot. Um, he he fired the first cinematographer. I think he was really trying to like show that he um, because I think because he was insecure about like not knowing how to like use a fucking camera, like being new to. Uh, right. I mean, they, they talk about like he had signed on. They'd paid him like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and he literally didn't know the difference between like different kinds of lenses. Like he'd never been uh-huh. on like a movie set before. So I think he very much was like trying to prove himself. Um, but yeah, he was obviously much more of an insider than Cassavetes was. And also, I mean, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton are much sexier leads than Peter Falk in general. That's true. Um, (laughs) There's, I mean, not to be, not to be crass about it, but, um, Uh it's like, there's, they, they are like the Hollywood version of the characters we see in, you know, most of Cassavetes work. Um, I, 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 I think we can use faces as just the comparison. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, don't it's the get most too, direct one, yeah. Um, because it is just about a couple that is in a similar situation, fueled by alcohol, um, digging up this kind of past that we don't know about. They're in this movie, they're like characters that are distinctly different from each other, and they tease each other, um, and they don't. They can never agree because they're fundamentally different people and like they are so self-involved that they can never get on the side of another person. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Faces, the there, there's something simultaneous about the single characters in that they have their own kind of personality, but they do mimic other people or they they get on the side of the other person or they're they'll be laughing with them while insulting them um whereas in this movie it'll mostly be like one person will be laughing at another but no one's ever laughing together there's no blending really of characters or there's no um he doesn't really team people up too much besides Martha and Nick, but even they have sort of adversarial relationship, whereas John Cassavetes will have these dynamics between multiple people that I think of the scene in uh, Jenna Rowland's little parlor Mm -hmm. there where it's the two kind of guys and you can't even track who is who, or you can't track what the nature of the conversation is. They don't even have real conversations they're just singing and saying things but you get that you immediately get like what their relationship is through that whereas in this he kind of develops each character pretty methodically while having a similar format of like speech of like kind of yelling at each other um and the camera chasing them around it doesn't have the kind of riskiness that faces has yeah, I mean, we we talked a lot about all of Cassavetes' films not giving you much in the way of like a life vest, kind of uh, trusting you to puzzle out the kind of natures of the relationship. I remember early on in Faces, I remember remarking that it wasn't clear to me what the relationship was between the characters in a very literal sense. You know, is this somebody's girlfriend? Is this somebody's wife? Are these guys friends? Are they are they related? It, it, you have to kind of piece it together. Whereas, and it's 
partially just because I, I think plays are like this in general. You know, characters are often just telling you their their biography, telling you <laughs> yeah. why they act the way they do. Um, uh huh. So I mean, you know, we, we get characters pretty explicitly describing kind of everything from their past, whereas Cassavetes, uh forces you to make a lot of like inferences. Um, and it's, yeah, to your point, it's a, it's a riskier kind of a filmmaking. And though I, though I do like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, obviously I, I think it, uh, I'd probably rank it below all of the, the Cassavetes films <laughs> we covered for the podcast. It sucks. I mean, I really, I, I really respond to this movie. And if I, if I didn't see all the Cassavetes stuff first, I'd be like, holy fuck, mm-hmm. what is this? What, how, how, how can I stay so glued and involved to the shit that just is so inane and has no meaning? Um, but I just, I've just been so blown away by Cassavetti's work and so just taken out of my usual viewing process that I can only like judge something like this against him because mm-hmm. he has truly just taken everything away from the viewer and given them an experience where this still kind of holds on to the strongholds of like, these are human beings that have a history um, and not just fucking like lasers of slime that shoot across a room and are sometimes fucking each other and sometimes disappointing each other, um, which seems to happen in like the Cassavetti stuff. Uh, Nichols also does want, and, and I don't think this is a detriment, but he does want you to focus on certain highly dramatic points, like when he's holding a gun to the back of her head to kind of take us out of this like, moment of chaos and mm-hmm. s- focus on just like oh shit this energy has been focused in a really negative way mm-hmm. um and i guess we'll see how that develops in his career of him using that kind of highly dramatized hollywood um, mode of like using music and uh camera cues to get the audience like snap them out of it and get them into this like really focused point Mm-hmm. which John never really does. I think he's generally, uh, it seems like he's a smart director. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about his, him talking the studio out of um, literalizing a lot of the kind of themes of, of the play and a lot of the details, you know, having their, their son actually exist, um, <laughs> yeah. making all of that stuff clearer. Um, you know, uh, he, um, he knows not, he, he knows not to tell that much, you know? Um Yeah. They say crap a lot in this movie, which I figured has to, it has to have been shit in the play, right? There's no way. They, <laughs> they, they couldn't have just, it's just, they couldn't have said shit that many times in a movie. It's weird uh-huh. to hear somebody say crap. It's like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Ghost Rider, but that's another one that was like edited down from an R rating to a PG-13. And Kim Cattrall, <laughs> Kim, Kim Cattrall says friggin' a hundred times. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so obviously like 80 yard in. Oh, it's terrible. It's not a bad oh movie, but you, the word friggin' is distracting when you're not in line at like Geno Stakes, you know? <laughs> There's nothing to like about these people. They're all generally pretty disgusting. It's a it's a it's a harsh environment. The house is a mess. Um it's a negative place to be starting from and no one seems to have anything they think they can learn from another person, which gets you into a world that uh is extremely cynical, but you see the side of everyone that is the least aware. And so they work only to hurt each other at an extensive, at like an extreme pace. Mm -hmm. And that is a 
that's something I haven't really explored. I mean, like I said, we go to parties and someone will insult each other and then it kind of, you know, fizzles out or, you know, fights end. But when it just keeps going, it's a different, there's something else happening. It's a different existence to be in. I love the milieu of this movie. I generally, I like movies about like unhappy <laughs> academics, particularly ones that are like unhappy uh-huh. in their marriage and feel like professionally and personally uh, unfulfilled. So yeah, this this is like <laughs> aspirational for me almost. Like <laughs> if I could, yeah, if I could have any like career for myself, I'd be sort of, a, I'd be like a disappointing academic with kind of a, mm. a lush of a wife who's much better looking than me and we don't have sex. And uh-huh. you know, I mean, that, that this is like my dream life, basically the Richard Burton. That is, yeah. <laughs> um uh and one more point about sandy dennis she's got like a spit bubble at one point toward the end really great performance really goes for Uh it um she was apparently a hardcore method actor i wonder if she was really fucking bombed although i I don't know something tells me mike nichols would not have been amenable to uh someone just being wasted on set although it says that richard burton and liz taylor as as much as he was able to rein them in they did insist on like hour long like multiple hours long very boozy like lunches and would come back to set wasted uh you know Mm -hmm. uh they make it work nothing better than a functioning hollywood alcoholic am i right ladies and gentlemen yeah i think sandy dennis does blow this out of the water even I, i i think even uh what's uh martha's characters what's her act uh elizabeth taylor i thought she she I think she did great and she did there were but there were some moments where she had to act too she had to do too many monologues which she held up very well but it was just like it didn't really serve her character mm-hmm. to have like these kind of diatribes about like loving her husband I, th- I felt that it was a little too kind of forced mm-hmm. yeah no it's a good performance but um I, I definitely tend to gravitate I, I I don't tend to think I tend to not love it's it's fashionable and I I tend to definitely let me let me pause and reset here. It's um mm-hmm. it's definitely the most acting, which can make it sort of like a grating at times. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I- intentionally often, but I don't know. It- it's always hard to give like two big thumbs up to the biggest performance in a movie. That's true, but she does she does an incredible job, and never it never feels like she's uh, I don't know playing to the camera or anything. It does feel like it's all felt. She won the Oscar, her second of her career. She won her first for Butterfield 8, an adaptation of a John O'Hara novel. Uh, well, can't wait to see what's le- What's next, Bennett. What do we got next up? The Graduate. And uh, ah! we'll have a, ah, hopefully a film that everybody's uh, seen. Uh, much like this film, it was a movie that when I saw it, I was like, whoa! Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 mm-hmm. I meant to say I saw this movie well before I saw all of the John Cassavetes movies, and I was, like, blown away. Um, everything yeah. kind of looks a little paler in, in comparison to uh, the work of uh, a true genius. Um, JC. Yeah. Next up is The Graduate with special guest Chuck. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned. We got a real special episode coming up next. Um, you know, it's only uh, it's only once in a blue moon that the movie we're talking about is a movie that people have actually seen. So yeah. I hope you'll all, you'll all check in for that because it's going to be a very special episode. I believe it's also on Netflix, so no excuses. Uh, <laughs> I don't... I don't want to hear. I don't want to see any doctor's notes. I don't want any permission slips. I don't want. To, I don't even care if you di- if you die beforehand. You're gonna. I want asses in seats. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Bye bye.